Okay. All right. What's up, Summit Park Church? How we doing today? Doing good? Well, welcome all those who are watching uh, via the interwebs. Welcome everybody in the room here at North Campus, everybody watching online. And of course, all those who are watching at the South Side, the South Campus. We love you guys. And uh, I actually want to give you a virtual hug right now. Okay. So just take that in. There it is. The best way that we can show how excited we are for everybody tuning in, no matter where you're at, is clapping. So would you give it up for every single person watching here, South Campus Online. Hey, want to tell you that First Wednesday really is going to be awesome, okay? If you've never been to a First Wednesday in person here at the church, I'm telling you it's going to be hot. It's going to be so good. It's one of our favorite things that we do. And, and something powerful happens when you get the body of Christ together to worship together, take communion together, pray for the needs of the church. It's going to be so good. And Kona Ice, I'm telling you, there's, the, there's like this blue raspberry on half and then the other half green apple. Very good. You should try it. Uh, the cherry is also good, but your mouth looks like it's bleeding. So if you're okay with that, you can, you can jump on in. First Wednesday, it's going to be awesome. Well, I am very excited. Somebody say very excited. That excited. I'm that excited about Be Wise because I think we all need to be wiser. Does anybody else need to be wiser? I know that I do. We do. We all need to be wiser. And uh, I think that this series, if we can really take some of these principles and apply them to our lives, we will be wiser. We're going to look a little bit more, love a little bit more, lead a little bit more like Jesus, and uh, so that's what we're going to do. Week number one, Pastor Scott did a fantastic job. If you haven't listened to it yet, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it, but he defined what wisdom is, and that is knowing what to do, but not only that, knowing how to do it and when to do it, but then there was an action step actually doing it, right? So wisdom is not just the knowledge, but wisdom is actually taking a step forward in that. So I actually wanted to take some time today and apply those principles to one of the most amazing and, and biggest, most important aspects of our lives. It is our friendships, okay? That's what I want to do. Uh, and so I, uh, I've heard of this phrase. You might have heard of this phrase too, this quote. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. There was like three people here at North Campus that knew that. I was like hoping for at least like 18 or 20, you know. But, well, now you've all heard it, so we can say it together. See that? Show me your friends, and I'll show you your Man, a lot of you have heard of that phrase. That's amazing. That is awesome. That is when a sermon illustration works really well. So, Solomon, what he, what he does is he actually takes this a step further, okay? So in Proverbs 13, verse 20, he says, Walk with the wise and say it with me. Become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So he, he not only says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, but he says, show me your friends and I'll show you who you will become. He says this is like a part of your identity. So he, he says, you are not going to become a wise person and lead a wise life unless you're great at choosing, building, and keeping the best friendships. Okay, that's, that's what he says is true about our friendships. So here's what I know about everybody in the room watching at South Campus, watching online, watching it later. Here's what I know to be true. You're either with friends who are taking you down a path 
uh, that is filled with wisdom. Or you are with friends who are taking you down a path that is foolish, okay? There are two paths. It's either you're going down a wise path or the other one. Well, I have a story of when I was walking with a friend and it was going down a path that was not so wise, okay? This was in a season of my life called the sixth grade. And, uh, and so sixth grade was different. I was a little bit shorter, a little bit wider. I had asthma. Life was hard. I just wanted a friend, okay? That's, that's what I wanted. And so uh, I, was, I was hanging out with a friend who was a little bit older. I thought he was so cool. I wanted to be like him. So it was around the 4th of July. And we had gotten some fireworks. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this firework before, but it's called water dynamite. Anybody ever heard of this before? You can actually light the firework, and then you can toss it into water, and the fuse will continue to burn until combustion, until the, the firework explodes. And so we're having fun with it in the backyard. We were tossing it into a bowl of water, a bucket of water. Uh, we even, like, put it in a water bottle and, and screwed the cap on really quick and watched it explode. It was awesome. It was so much fun. It was great. So my friend says, hey, I've got a great idea. We should take the water dynamite inside and throw it in your toilet. I was like, that's a great idea. So we went, in, we went inside and... Uh, and I'm standing at the in, the in the doorway, so I can't see the toilet. Uh, I'm, it's like blocked by the sink. And so he he lights he lights one up and throws it in, and explosion happens. I see water hits the ceiling, and I was like, that was awesome. And I look at my friend, this this older, stronger, cooler friend, and his face has become pale. And he looks at me. And, and it looked like he had seen something very bad happen. And I was like, well, what happened? I go over to look at the toilet, and it had sunk down into a really tight compartment of the toilet and had completely blown off the side uh, of the toilet. This is the toilet in our house, okay? This is like the guest bathroom. And, and so I was like, no, no! And again, sixth grader, eighth grader, we don't know a lot about a lot of things. And so we, uh, we didn't know that you could turn the water off on, on, the, on the toilet. And so we're like, quick! grab every towel in the house. And so we grabbed the towels. We're trying to like soak it all up. And then uh, I was like, go to the garage. Let's find everything we can. We found wall putty, my mom's nail glue, Elmer's glue. And we were trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together. And, and we, uh, we finally put the puzzle pieces back together, put some duct tape on it, spray painted it white. And then I called mom and said, mom, something's wrong with the toilet. And then I went to my friend's house. And how many of you know a wise person, right? They become more wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. That's exactly what I did. As a sixth grader, I had to buy a new toilet, and I was grounded for a very, very long time. And, uh, and I suffered some harm. That's, that's what I did. Uh, I became known uh, as, as Cracker Zag, okay? That, that became an identity. So walking with a fool gave me a new identity in my family. It was very unfortunate. So friendships are a big deal. Solomon is saying friendships, it's not only your future, like what you're going to do when you get older, but, but who you hang out with, this is who you're going to become. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are the average of the closest five people in your life? Have you ever thought about that? Who are you spending your time with, right? Do you want to become those people? That's exactly what we do. 
And that's exactly what life is. This is why Solomon is saying this is who you should pay attention to. You need to find that friend and be that friend because it's a really big deal. You think about it. Where would Captain America be without Bucky Barnes, right? Where I, now, now, hey, I know some of you young guns, you think LeBron James is the greatest of all time. Where would he be without D. Wade? Where would he be without AD? I'm going to tell you this. He would not have the rings on the fingers. He wouldn't. Michael Jordan, although the greatest, he still needed Pippin, right? Where, where, where would he be? Guys, where would Beyonce be without Destiny's Child, right? You're right. She would be just fine on her own. But, but the, Bible, the Bible speaks very clearly about friendships. Where, where would Paul be without Barnabas? Where would Moses be without Aaron? Where would Elisha be about Elijah? There, there's so many friendships that we find in Scripture that help form some of the heroes of the faith into their identity in Christ. And what God had planned for their life, it was based on friendships. And so Solomon does a deep dive uh, like all throughout Proverbs and even some of the other wisdom literature that he wrote that we'll look at later. But there's so many different Proverbs that say exactly that, that you will not become a wise person. You will not lead a wise life unless you're great at choosing, building, and keeping great friendships. So we're going to take a look at that today. Uh, what's a real friend? What, what does the Bible say a real friend is? And we're, we're not going to focus on only finding these friendships, but also being these friendships. This is what we call a real friend. So if you're taking notes today, and I hope that you are, everybody knows that note takers are history makers, they're world changers, you actually get a diving board in your eternity pool in heaven, okay, if you take notes in church. So you better do that, it's in the Bible, look it up, on your own time, not right now, in Second Opinions chapter 4. So if you're, if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down, the first step in finding a real friend is being the best friend. The first step in finding a real friend is being the best friend. So Solomon tells us exactly who to look for and exactly how to live in being that friend. And, and there are certainly other truths that we can find in Proverbs about friendships, but there are three main themes that we find a lot about in Scripture, and it's these three themes. A real friend cares enough to confront. A real friend keeps you calm, cool, and collected. And a real friend is committed. So we're going to take some time and look at these three things. A real friend cares enough to confront. They're calm, cool, and collected, and they are committed. Let's take a look at this very first one. A real friend cares enough to confront. So the reality is we are all imperfect. We say this a lot here. In fact, if you come to a welcome party, which you really should, uh, you'll hear Scott say that that's really important to us to understand that we are all imperfect people on an imperfect journey toward a perfect God. If that's true, if we genuinely believe that that's true, then we're all imperfect and we're going to do some imperfect things, right? The imperfect people do some imperfect things. Has anybody done anything imperfect this last week here at North Campus, South Campus? Of course you have. We're all terrible people on a journey. That's what we are and that's what we do. If that's true, then we are in desperate need of correction, right? In order to become more perfected, in order to become bettered, we're going to need to go through the process. And correction only happens from confrontation. See, 
All of us want to be better, right? We all do. Somebody asks you, hey, do you want to be better? Of course I do. But we don't want to go through the process of being bettered or bettering others. Think about this. We all, we all want to lose the extra 10 pounds before beach season. We want to do it. But we want to eat cheese puffs instead of carrots, right? That's, that's what we want to do. We all want to be in a place that is better. But we don't want to go through the process of being bettered. We don't want our friends to tell us to pick up the carrot instead of the cheese puff. We don't want the friend to tell us to eat the broccoli, right? We don't want that. We, we just want to be better. And, and also, we don't want to tell other people. We're scared of confrontation. But a real friend, a real friend cares enough to confront. They're not afraid of it. In fact, they lean into it. So I've, I've been an example of this. And uh, I'd like to bring up my friend. His name's Austin. Everybody give it up for Austin. He's coming up here. Now, you've noticed I've uh, brought a bench grinder onto stage. And uh, I don't own this uh, because Austin is more of a man than, than I am. And so he actually owns a bench grinder. And he also owns a sword. Okay, so can you help me with this? I want to show it. Did you guys hear that? It was like made a nice sheathy sound. Okay, so... That's a word, trust me. This is a sword, and, uh, and, and Solomon writes about this, okay? I think this, would, I think this is how I should preach every sermon. This makes me feel really good about myself. Solomon says this in Proverbs 27, 17. You've probably read it. You've probably heard it. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, this was written in a time called the Iron Age, and uh, swords would have looked a lot like this. This is a Spartan sword. This wouldn't come till a little bit later, uh, but it would be about this length, about this width, width. And in order to sharpen an iron sword, in, in order to even come to the point to where you had a sword, it, it, it would go through a process, and it had to be sharpened by iron itself. Actually, it didn't start out looking this long. It didn't start out looking this thin, this skinny. Well, actually, what it started looking out like at first was just one piece of raw iron, okay? This is steel, but there's iron and steel, so just work with me, okay? So it, it, looked, it looked a lot like this. Now, when you look at this, there's nothing inherently valuable about this piece of metal, right? You can't really do a ton with this. If you were to take this into battle, what are you going to do? Slap your enemy in the face with a piece of metal? Like there's, there's nothing that is inherently valuable about this piece of metal. It's only when it goes through the process of pressure that allows this piece of metal to be formed, shaped, and sharpened. Okay? So in order for this to ultimately become... This, it's going to need to go through a process. And so Austin is going to pick it up here in a moment. He, not, not yet. He's going to fire up the bench grinder. And he's going to show us what confrontation looks and sounds and feels like. Okay, so I'm going to need your help here at the North Campus, at the South Campus. When we give an example of confrontation, I'm going to give you an example. And then we're all going together. We're going to say, ow, okay, really loud, okay? Let's practice this together. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Ow! Great job. Great job at North Campus. I'm believing in faith at South Campus that it sounded very alpha. Okay, so it's also a word. All right, let's fire it up. Okay, so we have the bench grinder. Now, in order for confrontation to happen, 
there's going to be some constant friction. For instance, when somebody tells you, hey, you have spinach in your teeth. Ow! Right? That, that, that didn't hurt. There was a little spark there. There was some friction. That's loud. That's painful. I don't like that. They might say, hey, your breath stinks. Ow! I don't like that. That, that, what, I, that wasn't good to, I don't like the way that feels. They might tell you, hey, your jeans don't fit the way you think they do. Ow! Right? That, that really hurt. And then you look in the mirror and you, and you think, they were right. Ow! Right? That is not good. Everybody give it up for our friend Austin. He did such a great job. That was really great. So you'll notice the process of confrontation is loud. It creates sparks. And guess what? We do not have a sword in my hands right here to give you an example. Why? Because it takes a process. It's a process of constant confrontation. And in fact, this piece of metal would have to be, it would have to be heated up and it would have to go through constant pressure to become longer to become skinnier. And then, and then at that point, once it is formed and shaped, then it could become sharpened. That's the point of confrontation. We don't like it. It's not something that feels good to us, but it is absolutely necessary in order for us to go from being like this to this. God actually has a plan and a purpose for your life. And, and that plan, it's going to require being in moments that cause you to be uncomfortable. You know what this looks like? This looks like actually chipping away at the metal in our lives that Solomon talked about earlier in this chapter. Look at, at Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. It says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Everybody say hidden love. This is Hebrew poetry. So what's happening is he's creating one clause in verse 5. And then he's following up with a parallel thought in verse 6. This is what they would do all the time in Hebrew poetry. And so that first clause is saying, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. And then he parallels that hidden love with something that we wouldn't understand. He said, but wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So you know what he's doing? He's saying that there is a friendly wound. That's kind of like an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp, right? Like we don't understand it. It is inherently paradoxical for us to think that there is a wound that could be friendly, but the ESV actually calls it a faithful wound. A faithful wound. He's saying this isn't something that feels good, but it is good for you. This is actually going to be something that doesn't feel good, but I promise you it is good for you. And again, he parallels that hidden love with, in verse 6, an enemy multiplying kisses for you. Something that we might think on, on the surface would be friendly. Something that we might think would be good. When we don't care enough to confront, we're going to let things slide. We're actually not going to call things out. That's hidden love. Because wounds from a friend can actually be trusted, but if you are hiding that love, you're actually multiplying kisses you know what he's saying? That, that parallel in the second clause in verse 6 is just as bad as Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. Why? Because you say to yourself, 
oh, I, I love that person too much to tell them the truth. I love that person too much to tell them because I, I, I care about their feelings. You know what you're really saying? I love myself too much than to have to go through that uncomfortable moment. He's saying you can't only just find a friend. You got to be a friend. We got we to gotta be a bro. Somebody say be a bro or a sis. So you, you, have, to, you have to say these moments of confrontation. You got to care enough to confront because a real friend is going to tell you when you're being ridiculous. A real friend is going to tell you when you're not being yourself. A real friend is going to tell you when you're wrong. You might be wrong. Shocker. I know. But the enemy or the fool, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what's going to make you feel good in the moment. They don't want to confront. Can I just be honest with you? This is the mindset of our culture today. Whatever you feel is right, that's, that's true. Whatever you think is true, that's actually reality. But can I just tell you, the Bible tells us time and time again that feelings are going to lie to you. It's true. So we need somebody to come in and to care enough about us to confront, to help us out. So that's a category of confrontation, somebody helping you before something bad happens. Then there's this other category that we find in Scripture of something bad that has happened to you. And we need to care enough to confront. If you feel like somebody has actually gone so far, they've messed up so badly that they've sinned against you, you need to care enough about that person to lean in and to confront. Now, what this does not look like is taking it to the social media spheres. What this does not look like is sending a text message and hoping that it fixes everything. No, Jesus tells us exactly what this type of confrontation calls for in Matthew 18. Literally, he puts on a clinic of how we need to confront. In verse 15, if a believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Now, if that person is a fool, uh, or sorry, if the person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. That's the wise person. But if you are unsuccessful, the fool, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. But if they still act in a fool, the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a, collect, or a corrupt tax collector. It got dark real quick, right? Like the, but that, that's a clinic. This is not what our culture says to do. This, this is not how our society says that we should handle difficult conversations. But now that we've been talking about the wise person and the fool, the wise person actually accepts that feedback that you give them before something bad happens. You're like, hey, I'm just looking out for you. Just want to let you know this is going on. They accept that advice. Or if something bad has happened, then they actually accept the discipline because the wise person never thinks they're wise enough. The wise person is always chasing wisdom. But look at this in Proverbs 19.20. Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end of your life, you will be counted among the wise. But if you're one of these people who, who thinks that you, you have gotten enough wisdom, you're like, I've lived enough life and I've learned enough that I've, I have this figured out. 
hey, Solomon's pretty clear about this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. He actually takes it so far to say, if you're not accepting wisdom any longer, you're being used by the enemy. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think, is that you've gotten this thing figured out. You're, there's no need for confrontation for you. You're good. But we're in desperate need of confrontation. We're in desperate need of some real friends who care enough to confront. Second thing we learn from Solomon is that a friend keeps you calm, cool, and collected. You might be scratching your head thinking like, Zach, I thought you just told me to find a friend who wants to fight with me all the time. How am I going to do that if I'm supposed to find a friend that keeps my cool? This is what he says in 22 verses 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So Scott talked about last week the, the type of snare, the type of imprisonment called lakata in, in the Hebrew. This is a different Hebrew, Hebrew word called mokesh. This is a different type of snare, a different type of trap. This is actually bait or a lure or a noose. It's, it's used for catching animals. So this is, this is not all at once. This is actually little by little pulling you in, setting the bait, and it's not going to happen all at once. It might happen right before your very eyes. You will be trapped in your anger. Has anybody here at the North Campus, South Campus, watching on, you ever been trapped by your anger, right? Maybe like this last week, maybe on the way in the car this morning, you were trapped in your anger. Maybe you've, you've had a fight with your spouse. Maybe you've had a, a, a we, we call it, Caitlin and I, when we get in a fight, we call it intense fellowship, okay? So it's not just, it's not, it's not a fight. We, we get in some in, intense fellowship sometimes here and there. And sometimes you say some things that you don't mean to say, right? Why? Why do we do that? It's because we're letting it fester, right? You, you might say something to a coworker, and you're like, whoops, did not mean to say that. You might angry type something up over social media and then hit send, and you're like, oh, no, that's going to get me in trouble. I should not have done that. We get trapped in our anger. What's happening is we're allowing things to fester in our lives, and Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered person stirs up the conflict. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. What he's saying is once you've taken the step to care enough to actually confront and you talk about the situation, then he's saying you can move on. He's saying you, you can actually move on and, and you can give grace because the reality is you might be allowing it to fester and you're not, you're not showing it with your face. They're not hearing it with your voice, but man, it is going to work inside of you. And this is... This is what he says. You might appear to be a peacemaker. You might appear to be that person who's keeping everything calm, cool, and collected. But did you know, anybody ever heard of the Enneagram before? There's like nine different personality types, and it's all about motive. And, and there's this one type, and they're the nine, okay? So both campuses. This is Pastor John Torgerson here at, at Summit Park Church. The nine, okay? Just everything's even. Keel, it's going to be good. They've always got a smile on their face. The Enneagram says they're the most angry, okay? These are the angriest people. They're just hiding it the best, okay? So this, the, the, you might be this person who is the angriest person, but you're just letting it fester. 
and you're, you're letting it eventually boil over and combust just like the water dynamite in the toilet, and nothing good comes from this, right? Because you're, allow, you're, you're not taking the first step and caring enough to confront the issue. You're not first, you're not taking the step that is given to us by Scripture to care enough to confront so you can't be calm, cool, and collected on your own. It's all a facade. Your face may be saying one thing, your voice is saying something, but eventually it's going to come out. Here's what Solomon says about the calm person, the real calm person. Whoever would foster love covers an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So this is what, this is what happens. This is what happens when you're in that fight, right? And you, you, you bring something back up because you haven't really dealt with it. You, you haven't actually cared enough to confront about some, confront a situation because you, you really don't want to get into it. You don't like the confrontation. You're afraid of what's going to happen, but it's continuing to boil over. And, and, and we allow that anger to continue to fester. And we, we do this. We just get into these funks and we allow our anger to keep going. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs that anger up. He's saying it's only when you've, you've been in this position where you've actually confronted it, you've actually had the conversation, that you can really be calm. It's not just the facade. You're not just putting on a show, but you can actually do it. 19.11 says, sensible people control their temper, and they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. So once you've done the first step and you've actually talked it through, you've moved on, then it's time to give a little grace. Remember, we're imperfect. We're imperfect people on an imperfect journey who are going to do imperfect things. We are all in desperate need of some grace. So once we've done the hard work, having the confrontation, then we can actually move forward with grace instead of canceling people. I'm telling you this. Can you write this down? A real friend stays calm before they cancel. Can I just be honest with you? Jesus has had a reason or thousands to cancel all y'all. Okay, Jesus. Jesus could have canceled all of us. But a real friend stays calm before we cancel. If something needs to be confronted, great. Point it out in love. Talk it through. Over coffee or some Andes, Poppy's ice cream, whatever your flavor. Have the talk. And then let's give some grace. Because this is the body of Christ. We all need it. So let's move forward in this marathon of life. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. It's going to take time of, of really walking through life together, calling things out that need to but then staying calm enough to move forward with grace. Once we've taken those two steps, then we can walk into this reality of a real friend, finally. And the third thought that we can learn from Solomon is that a real friend is committed. They're committed. This is what the kids would call the real ones, okay? This is the real friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. Somebody say all times. Somebody else say all times. And a brother is born for adversity. So when Solomon would have been writing this, it was in a culture that was much more family-oriented than the one that we live in today. 
But even for us, we understand what this means because we all have siblings that we might not like all the time, but we're there. We're stuck to them whether we like it or not, right? This is, this is a brother or a sister. This is a sibling. He's saying a friend loves at all times, meaning they're not just stuck to you. They choose you. Your friends, they really actually choose you. This is a friend who they're with you no matter what. A friend that stays with you through the thick and the thin. They're with you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, until death do you part. I'm just kidding. But this is, this is a friend who, they're with you no matter what. They might be with you to call you out. They might be with you to stay calm when you're, when you're going a little cray-cray. Or they're just with you when you just need a friend. Has somebody ever walked through a season you're like, you know what, I don't need you to say anything to me right now. I'm probably not even going to say all the right things. I just need a friend. Maybe you've walked through something that is absolutely detrimental in your life. Maybe you've walked through loss. You're walking through depression or anxiety, and you just need a friend who's just there. A friend that loves at all times. There's this quote, and, and they mention friendship. They say, we, we have three types of friends in life. Friends for a reason, friends for a season, and friends for a lifetime. See, that, that sounds really good, honestly. Like, sounds really like a great little quote. But you, you think about it. You actually pick this apart. That means that some people are, some friends are transactional. Other friends are seasonal. And then there's this friend for a lifetime. But when you think about it, the friend that would be there for a reason, the transactional friend, that's not a real friend at all, right? Or, or the friend for a season, you know, that, that's an acquaintance, but, but they're not there. That's, that's not your real friend, but there is, there is a friend who is a real friend, a friend that loves at all times the friend for a lifetime. I think that Solomon is saying it's that type of friend that we need to find. And it's that type of friend that we need to be. He's saying that we can find a friend, that we can be a friend, and we can keep Christ in the center. Because I think that the reality is it's, it's really easy to look for the best friends. Why? Because we're all selfish and we want to be better, right? So we're like, yeah, I want to look for friends to make me better. But the friendship aspect of knowing what to do, how to do, right, when to do it, there's an action step of actually doing it being a friend. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to find a friend, be a friend, and keep Christ in the center. The reality is it's hard. It's hard to be a friend. Remember, we're imperfect. We're messed up. It's hard. It's hard to be a friend. And the first step to finding that friend is you being the friend first. And the only way that we can do this is if one thing is intact, if one thing is in order. We find this in Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. There's a lot of friends that you can find in this world. A lot of friends that you can try and fit into that God-sized hole, right? There's this void and you're trying to fit. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In the Hebrew there, that's, it's, it's like to cleave. There is, there is a friend who, who sticks with you. 
His name is Jesus. And until that friendship is found by you, you will never find the best friends and you will never be the best friend. You just won't. Because this life is too hard. And we're too imperfect in order to, to do this life, to walk through this life on our own. You know, Solomon, at the end of his life, he wrote this book. It's called Ecclesiastes, and you've, you've probably heard about it before. It's another wisdom literature book that he wrote. And at the end of his life, he had had all the wealth. He had had all the women. He had literally anything that he wanted at any time that he wanted it. And when he's looking back on his life, he says, you know what I've learned about this life? is that it's meaningless. There's nothing, there's nothing in this life worth hanging on to. There's really nothing in this life w- really worth in investing in. Because ultimately, it's meaningless. It's going to die. It's going to go away. But there's this little snippet of hope <laughs> in, in Ecclesiastes 4. It says a, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. In the midst of all the meaningless, you can find relationships and you can find what Jesus really wants to do in your life. In the midst of of a world that is far away from the Lord and getting farther every single day, Jesus says, I have a plan for your life and it's gonna happen when you are my friend first and when you're their friend most. When you, can, when you can go find a friend and be a friend. That's the point of the church, not just Summit Park Church. That's the point of Christianity is that we would find Jesus and follow him. And the way we do that is through friendships. Did you know this, that you were actually created to be a friend of Jesus? Did you know that that's the only reason that you exist before anything else, before your job? before your spouse, before your family, before any title that you have in this life, it's to find Jesus first. He actually created you just to be your friend, the creator of the universe. The creator and the sustainer of the universe wants to be your friend. He wants to talk to you daily, and he wants you to talk back. He wants to be your friend. So, in order for us to live this life out, finding friends and being friends, there's only one foundation to that, and that is a friendship with Jesus. And he tells us that much in John 15. He says, I no longer call you servants. I didn't create you to be a robot just to do exactly what I've told you to do. I'm not going to force you to do this. Because servants do not know their, their master's business instead I call you friends. Jesus wants to call you a friend today. Isn't that an encouraging thought? Before we ever step out into the abyss of life, of doing what we feel like we're called to do, Jesus wants to be our friend. He doesn't want to be a dictator. He doesn't want to be a a ruler over your life that is based on religion and rules. He wants relationship with you. He wants to call you a friend. So when we use that as the foundation, then and only then can we go and find a friend, be a friend, because we're keeping Christ 
at the center. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we sure are thankful that you give us this unbelievable opportunity to be your friend. Lord, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, and we know that we can live that out, the most fulfilled life. We can live out this plan and purpose once we have established a relationship with you. So God, I pray that before we move forward with our days, before we move forward on a holiday weekend, God, that we would pause and we would say, thank you, God, for your friendship. And we would respond and worship together. With heads still bowed all across this campus, those watching at South, if you're watching online, you can be in this moment with us. I just want to tell you today, Jesus wants to call you friend. I don't know if you've heard that lately. I don't know if you've been going through the monotony and the minutia of religion, or maybe you've never had Jesus as a friend in your life. No matter where you're at in your journey, Jesus wants to call you friend today. And I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision, to say, yeah, I want, to, I want that friendship. So all across this room, those who are watching us south, you're watching online. If you say, Zach, my relationship with Jesus is not where it should be, but man, I want it to be. I want to make a decision to find that relationship with Jesus again, whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time. You say, Zach, that's me. Would you just raise your hand and look up at me long enough for me to see it? Then you can put it down. Thanks. Thank you. It's amazing. Hands are going up here at North Campus, South Campus. Say, Zach, that's me. It's amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Who else? Say, Zach, that's me. I want to make a decision. I want to call Jesus friend too. Thank you. Anybody else here at the North Campus, those who are watching the South Campus, say, Zach, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to be his friend. Make that decision today. Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else? Say, Zach, that's me. Awesome. Thank you. Wow. Praise God. Can we do this? Can we stand all across this room at South Campus? You know, here's, here's the reason I love church. Because anytime we're presented with God's word, we get the opportunity to respond to that amazing truth with worship. Jesus has called every single one of us friend. Some of you, for the first time, or the, for the first time in a long time, you're calling him friend as well. And now all of us together, as we're taking a step towards Jesus, can we just take a moment and worship the amazing name of Jesus? There's one name that brings mercy and grace to our lives. There's one name that brings power and healing to our lives. His name is Jesus. All across this room, would you lift your hands towards heaven? All across those at South Campus, would you lift your hands towards heaven? This is a sign of surrender, and can we worship God together, singing about the name of Jesus? Let's worship.